every time God has, has uh, asked something of me, every time he has uh, requested this or that, every time he's asked me to do a hard thing, there is always a boat ready and available to take me in the opposite direction of where God wants me to go every time. There's always competition for my calling. I mentioned this several weeks ago, but I, there's always competition for my calling. I believe that, that like on your life and on my life, there is unique calling. That God has purpose and design. He has destiny on our lives. And there's reason why we're here. There's reason why we're breathing air today. And uh, it, it's much greater than just making a paycheck and sort of living life as comfortably as possible. It's, 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 it's to impact the kingdom, to make a difference for eternity, to take as many people to heaven as possible, to populate that place, to crowd heaven. And, and, and what I have learned throughout my life when it comes to being like, like a, a godly man, when it comes to being a godly husband and father, when it comes to like making right decisions, like when it comes to, to uh, embracing the kingdom, there's always been a boat ready to take me far away from where God wants me to be. Every single time, there's like a, there's like a, a way out. There's a way to go the opposite direction every time. I, like, I, 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 have, I have noticed like this, this spiritual battle in my life, a competition for my calling. The enemy of your soul is not just gonna stand by and be like, awesome, do what God wants you to do. Absolutely not. He's always gonna give you other options that look better. I am uh, beginning a brand new teaching series today on the life of Jonah, uh, that Old Testament prophet, and uh, it's a series I've entitled uh, A Runaway People, and uh, I'm excited for this series um, for uh, lots of reasons. One of them is because, you know, Jonah is, is you know, known as this, this uh, prophet who has a tendency to run from God, right? He's known as the runaway prophet, and and the people of God for thousands of years have been uh, known as uh, runaway people, right, who have a tendency to disobey God as well. I know that that has been my story at times, and I'm sure that that's been all of our story at times. It's interesting to me to see the similarities between the life of Jonah and my own, how we just have the propensity to run sometimes. So um, I don't know about you, but I, I have a a love-hate relationship with running. Um, I, I hate to run, and I love to not run. You know, like, I, I have a love-hate relationship. You know what I mean? I, like, I have an inability to relate to those weird people who love to run. Like, is there anybody with me? Today? I just have an inability. If that's you, I know I just offended you, but I don't even care. You know you're weird. Like, it's weird, right? And so, like, my... Uh, like, even though, like, I, I, I hate running, like, there have been times in my life, like, over the last 20 years or so, where I have, I have given it a shot. I've tried to build that habit in my life, you know. I uh, uh, just wanted to maybe get in better shape, lose some, some pounds, whatever uh, the case. And, um, and as you can see, in my nearly 40 years, I have not stuck with it. Um, I, I have, I've struggled, mostly because I just hate to run, right? Like, it's just, there's, like, what's the point? Like, what are we doing here, right? We're just hurting ourselves, and uh, it, it's just very difficult for me to stick with it. My experience has, has typically been the same each time. It's about five or six times I've tried this. Uh, and it's, it's usually lasted about four days. And uh, day one usually goes like this, like I set my alarm, 
and I, then I, I, I like wake up before the alarm goes off, you know, and, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm anticipating it. It's like I can't sleep like super deep that night because I don't want to oversleep, and so I, I'm up. I, I've, uh, I've got some new shoes. Uh, I got my fit laid out, like looking good, like, like ready, to, ready to get after it, you know, look good, play good, look good, run good, whatever it is, and so I, I'm, I'm ready, and um, and, and it goes, goes all right. Day two, I set my alarm, and instead of waking up before my alarm, I hit snooze a few times, you know, and then I, then I pull myself out of bed, and I'm like, all right, I guess we're doing this again. Day three, I conveniently forget to set my alarm. That's usually how it goes. Like, anybody with me? And then I wake up too late, and I'm like, all right, man, I guess I just can't do it today. Uh, day four, I set my alarm, I wake up, and I'm laying there in bed, and I'm like, having this internal dialogue with myself, and it's around body positivity. I'm like, I think I like the way I look. <laughs> you know? Like, I think I like it. Like, I, I kind of like my dad bod, you know? Like, like, like I, I'm, I'm okay with it. And, uh, and, then, and then this, like, this fool's errand is, like, done. It's over. Like, I, I'm, I am completely done with running. Like, it's not going to happen. And that's been my, my story uh, each and every time. Like, I hate running. Uh, I hate physically running, and uh, what's interesting about that is when I look at my life over the years, when I think about my experience with God, even though I hate to run physically, like I have this ability to run spiritually. It's interesting. In fact, I want you to look at this thought with me. Even though I've had a hard time running over the years, this is what I know about the spiritual life. You and I know how to run. We have a great stamina, particularly when it comes to running away from the things God calls us to. Isn't that interesting? It's like, it's wild. Like, I've seen so many people who, like, have, have I mean, they, they have exerted so much effort to not do what God has called them to. It's like, man, that is impressive. Look at how, look at how long you can run. Like, you have so much stamina. It's, it's like, if you would have just obeyed, you'd be there by now. You'd be, you know, but you're continuing to run all these different directions. I know that that's been true of me at times in my life. Most of us, or I should say some of us, if you're like me, you hate to run physically. It's just, it's just crazy. But spiritually, man, we look like Olympic athletes. We look like Forrest Gump. You know, like we are running. And what I've learned is that from time to time, God calls me to do some hard stuff some difficult stuff, and I'm always amazed at my ability to find the stamina, always amazed at my ability to find the endurance, to find a way to run and keep on running away from the things that God calls me to. It, it, it's like wild. And if we pay attention to the scriptures, if we pay attention to our lives every single week, God is inviting us to follow him, and sometimes in order to follow him, he calls us to do some hard things. For, for instance, he calls us to be generous with our money, to be open-handed with our possessions. Just a for instance. He calls us to speak out against injustice. He calls us to speak a word of forgiveness. He calls us to spend time with people that we don't necessarily see eye to eye with. How many of y'all know that week in and week out, God is calling us to do hard things? He calls us to resolve a conflict he calls us to step out in faith and to trust him. He calls us to stay in a place because our work there is not done yet. He calls us to confess our sins. He calls us to seek out help 
for our struggles. Day in and day out, week in and week out, God calls us to do some hard things. And here's a thought for you today. One of the things I know about the God of the universe is that he has a way of calling me to do things that I don't really like to do. You know? You ever notice that about God? You ever, you ever just notice that? You're like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd, I'd rather not. Thanks for asking, though. Like, that, it, God has a way of asking us to do things that were not on our mind to do. In fact, when we read the scriptures, we see this all the time. Willie James Jennings, he's a great theologian from uh, Yale University, he talks about how every time you look at the book of Acts, in particular, the church is being asked to do something that they don't want to do. Every time you look at it. Like, he suggests that for every big miraculous moment we find in the book of Acts, the church was faced with the decision of whether or not they were willing to do the hard thing every single time. And so the thought this morning for you is, that, is this, is that God is always calling his people to do things that they just don't want to do. He's always doing this. And this is what we see in Jonah's life, isn't it? If you're familiar with the story, this is what we see in Jonah's life. This is what we see in our life. This is what we know to be true about the God of the universe that he often calls us to do hard things because it's the hard things that bring about healing in our world, right? Those who actually do the hard thing, it brings about healing in our world. It's the hard things that bring about reconciliation in our world. It's the hard things that often make us healed and whole. And this is what we see in Jonah. God calls him to do something that is very, very, very hard. Now, most of the time when we think of Jonah, we think about a guy who got swallowed up by a fish or a whale or something like that, right? We think of that, that story from Sunday school. We can tend to think of it more as a child's story, like picture book fantasy, you know, rather than um, a story with like an adult level application. It's kind of a cute story, you know, when you think about it, like you think about this fish and Jonah, and I think about the, um, the flannel graph from, like from Sunday school when I was a kid, and, and I'm like, yeah, and Jonah just, got, he fell off the boat, like into the water, you know, and I, it's just kind of a cute little story. It's an impossible story when you think about it. Like, we don't really have a, a, a very easy way to relate to the particulars of this story. Like, I mean, come on, like this guy gets thrown off a boat, he gets swallowed by a fish, like what's going on here? But what makes Jonah, I think, less cute, what makes it more relatable, what kind of like makes it applicable to us here today is when we understand that this story of the one runaway prophet is really a micro picture of what has been true of the people of God for thousands of years. We are a people who have a long, long history of running from God. This is kind of what I want to get into, right? Because over the next several weeks, I'm going to be teaching through the book of Jonah and uh, just sharing with you some uh, reflections, I think, in my own life, and, and you know, maybe, maybe you, can, you can relate. I want us to look at how all too often Jonah's story is our story. He's the runaway prophet, and we are at times a runaway people. We have this propensity to run in the opposite direction of where God wants us to go up, bent even towards disobedience. So quick context, when you read the book of Jonah, it's important to understand that this is prophetic literature. So it's a story, 
but it's also prophetic. So it's, it's, it's also like, like foretelling uh, what is true of the people of God. Like, like, so, so you're seeing Jonah's life, but it's also like, 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 like a warning. Like this is what the people of God are like. It's prophetic in nature. Uh, Jonah is a prophet of God. In the Old Testament, he is grouped with the 12 minor prophets. So he is right there in the middle of, of, of Hosea all the way to Malachi. So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, right? So he's right there in the middle of the minor prophets. It's important to understand that when you read this, what type of literature. In fact, if you've ever struggled to, to read the Bible, I, I, you know, maybe we do a class on this sometime, but, but oftentimes it's because, like, like maybe you're, you're, unsure, you're unsure, you don't know what kind of literature that particular book is, is being written in. Like, like what style? It's not just historical. Maybe it's prophetic, you know, or, or apocalyptic or whatever, whatever the case. Um, so you got to understand this about, about this, that it's prophetic. It's speaking to the future as well. Um, but beyond it just being prophetic literature, Jonah is in a way like a comedy of errors. It's like satire. You know, it's irony when you read this book. There's so many different surprises that we see throughout this story, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that, that, over, that today and over the next several weeks, I can kind of draw some of those surprises out for you. And so let's just begin in Jonah 1, uh, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, so Nineveh is obviously full of great wickedness, it's evil. Jonah has been given the assignment to go and let them know how bad they are, essentially, right? So, I mean, this would be like, like uh, I don't know, I mean, you think of anything, like, go, just going out, like, it'd be like a street corner preacher in Vegas, like, telling everyone how wrong they are, like, this is essentially what's going on here, and it says in verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. That's going to be tough. He went, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I remember in uh, 2019, when I had the chance to go to Israel, we spent some time in Joppa. And, and I just remember like a pretty powerful moment of connecting with the story of Jonah there as I'm looking out at the uh, Mediterranean and, and, and realizing that this is, the, this is like the area, the port, really, where, where Jonah would have made that decision to not obey God. I like uh, some other translations. They're kind of interesting. Uh, the, the ESV uh, says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to, help me out, Tarshish. Look at this, away from the presence of the Lord. This is really interesting because, you know, Jonah is, is a part of the, the Hebrew scriptures, right? The, the, the Torah, it, it's Old Testament literature. So when you think about Hebrew people, whether they were living in the Old Testament era under the Old Covenant, or you even think of like first century, second century Jews uh, who are hearing Old Testament uh, scriptures, uh, you know, like, like they would have they been hearing Jonah read to them, and, and it would have been comedy. They would have fully understood that, like, this is a fool's errand. There's no possible way to run from the presence 
of the Lord. So it's likely when, when, you know, when, when they're being read this story that they're even kind of like chuckling to themselves a little bit, laughing a little bit. Like, what is he doing? You can't run from the presence of the Lord. I like the NLT. It says he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. And then the message is good too. It says he paid the fare, went on board, joining those going to Tarshish as far away from God as he could get. Now, I don't know, like, you ever found yourself reading scripture and you come across a certain character in the Bible who just does something so incredibly stupid and you're like, why would they do that? You know, like, you ever read about, like, like some of the people in the Old Testament or, or whatever and you're like, they just completely flat out, like, like, disobey God. I think about, like, Elijah after he calls down fire on Mount Carmel, and then, like, the very next chapter, he's like, he wants to die because Jezebel wants him dead. And I'm like, man, what? you just, you just saw the raw power of God. Like, like, you called it down, and now you're afraid for your life. Like, why would you do that? And, and there's character after character after character in, in the Bible. And I think that, you know, with our hindsight, our vantage point on this story, Jonah's Life, his story can cause us to think, like, why would he do that, you know? Like, why would you ever try to run from God? Like, why would you ever think that you could outrun the presence of God? You know, we can kind of think that way as we're reading through the story of Jonah. And, you know, in my experience growing up in church, like, Jonah kind of gets a bad rap. You know, he, he, he gets a bad rap. It's easy to, to read about a guy who lived thousands of years ago and think to ourselves, like, how dumb can you be? Like, why would he do that? I want to suggest to you today this thought, if you're taking notes, that I believe that there is a Jonah in all of us. And when we realize that Jonah's story is our story, what we really should be asking is, why do I do that? Why do I do that? And so here's the challenge in this series as we're reading through the book of Jonah together, studying it together, is that every time you're tempted in this story to ask, why would Jonah do that? Why would Jonah do that? I want you to turn the question on yourself and ask, why would I do that? Why would I do that? So back to uh, Jonah 1, 1 through 3 again. Just, uh, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, everybody say, ran away. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, we don't know a lot about Jonah, to be honest with you. Jonah's four chapters long. We don't know a ton about him. We know that he was a prophet. And, uh, you know, a prophet was, was, is someone who is called to speak for God. Right? Essentially what a prophet would do is receive a message from God and then deliver it to the people of God or to the people that God wanted him to deliver it to. And so Jonah is a prophet in this way. You think of all the famous prophets, he's, he's a prophet just like that. And throughout the stories of the Hebrew scriptures, the stories of the Old Testament, we see prophet after prophet after prophet ob obediently doing what God has called them to, like every time. But it seems that Jonah failed to read this part of the job description and what it means to be a prophet. Like he's a bit different than the other prophets we read about. You think about, like I just mentioned, Elijah. And even though Elijah had a very, very difficult life, he, he, 
uh, ministered exclusively in the northern kingdom, which was incredibly wicked. They had no uh, godly king at any point in their existence. That's where he was. He was on the run uh, because Jezebel was, was like, I mean, she, it was like open season on prophets. You know, she was rounding them all up and killing them. And yet Elijah still deliver, like, delivers the word that he is given from God. Like he'll, he's obedient to the Lord. Isaiah is given a difficult word from God, and, and he delivers it to the people. Like he has an incredibly difficult word. You read, read Isaiah, and, and yet he faithfully delivers it. Jeremiah, not only is he given a very difficult word from God, but God tells him that the people that he gives this word to aren't even going to listen to him. Hey, I want you to go tell them this, but by the way, before you, before you even do that, I want you to know they're not going to care. And yet he is obedient. Jeremiah still delivers the word. Ezekiel, another, another, another prophet who receives uh, the word from God and then he delivers it. So what we have in scripture is prophet after prophet after prophet receiving a difficult word from the Lord, faithfully delivering it. But Jonah is in a class all by himself. He goes the other direction to flee from the presence of God. Now, to be fair to Jonah, we, let's, let's just give the guy a break, right? Like to be fair to him, he was asked to do something that is not very easy to do. God asked Jonah to preach against the evil city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria at the time was the worldwide empire. Okay, they were known for being an incredibly barbaric society. So they were the global superpower at the time. Jonah is a prophet to the nation of Israel, right? So he is living around 750 to 800 years before the birth of Jesus. He's a prophet to the nation of Israel. And Assyria, this evil empire, is Israel's greatest enemy at the time. So Jonah is a prophet to Israel. God has asked him to go to his enemy and to preach against it. A little research about the Assyrian empire, and you'll come across Stories that, that might even shock you. They were so barbaric that they would go into a city and completely torture and kill everyone, men, women, and children. Like, they kept no one alive. They would bury people alive uh, that they had conquered with their heads sticking out of the ground. And they would let them just die that way. Like, they were, it was just incredibly barbaric. Um, not to be too graphic, but maybe just a little... Um, once they, once they would conquer a city, um, oftentimes they would take the heads of the men and they would make pyramids from them outside of the city just so that when people pass by, they'd know that Assyria came through here. Like, just the way it, like, is that like the ultimate flex? You know, that's what they would do. So when Jonah gets this word from God, it's not just that he doesn't feel like doing it, it's that he doesn't feel like dying, you know? Like, that's, that's really what's happening here. I, I, mean, I mean, think about it. Like, we're giving Jonah a bad rap, but, like, think about some of us in here. Like, some of you, you know, you're still having a hard time inviting your barista to Starbucks, uh, at Starbucks to church, and your coworker or, like, your neighbor, and you're like, man, God, I just don't, I don't, I don't feel like it. I, I don't know. I don't want to do that, God. Like, we're giving Jonah a hard time, right? Are you with me? Okay. Nineveh is a barbaric, crazy place. And when God is inviting Jonah to be on this mission, Jonah wants nothing to do with it. 
not much has really changed in Nineveh because today Nineveh is known as the country of Iraq. This place um, was so evil and it was his greatest enemy, yet he's called to go and serve his enemy, very similar to somebody else uh, we read about in Scripture. Here's a thought for you today. God will at times ask you to do some things you don't want to do and don't like to do for the sole purpose of determining where, what, and who you put your trust in. Like there's no other purpose other than this, sometimes. I want you to do the hard thing. I want you to trust me. I want to know where, who, and what you put your trust in. I mean, an example of this is, is the life of Abraham, isn't it? When, when uh, God requests Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, on the altar, Mount Moriah. I mean, y'all know that, like, Abraham didn't want to do that. He wasn't like, oh, sure, yeah, no big deal. Like, like maybe some of you are with, with your kids at this point, you know? Like, but, like, no, like, this is, this, is the, <laughs> this is the promised son. The one, the son that, like, Abraham has waited years and years and years and years for. He finally has him. It's his only child, his only son, and God asks him to sacrifice this promised son to him. So Abraham takes his son, right? They climb the mountain and puts him on the altar. He ties him up on the altar. He's believing that somehow God's gonna do something else here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through with this. He raises the knife, and as he raises the knife, God intervenes, and he says, Abraham, stop. Why? Why? Why did God make him go through this charade? It was because he wanted to know where, what, and who Abraham put his trust in. And sometimes God will ask you to do things that make absolutely no sense. In fact, it looks ridiculous. There is nothing about it that, uh, uh, that looks intelligent. There's nothing about it that makes sense in the natural. Like there's no, there's no wisdom from people around you that, that would uh, advise you to do this. And yet God sometimes invites us to do some things, some hard things, because he's trying to figure out where our heart's at where we're really at. Some of us, like Jonah, may have a legitimate reason for why we don't want to do what God is calling us to do, and so we delay our obedience, you know? How many of y'all are parents and you know that, like, delayed obedience is the same thing as disobedience, right? Jonah had a legitimate reason for why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, and he chooses disobedience. He heads for Tarshish. Now, Tarshish at the time was about as far away as you could get from Nineveh. Nineveh was located in modern-day northern Iraq. Tarshish was located on the southern port of Spain. They are worlds apart. This isn't just slight disobedience, right? This is a complete refusal to do what God is asking. I look at Jonah's life and I see some similarities to my own life. Look at this thought with me. I, I, I realize that there will always be a boat ready to take you in the opposite direction. Every single time. Every time God has, has uh, asked something of me, every time he has uh, requested this or that, every time he's asked me to do a hard thing, there is always a boat ready and available to take me in the opposite direction of where God wants me to go. Every time. There's always competition for my calling. I mentioned this several weeks ago, but I, there's always competition 
for my calling. I believe that, that like on your life and on my life, there is unique calling. That God has purpose and design. He has destiny on our lives. And there's reason why we're here. There's reason why we're breathing air today. And uh, it, it's much greater than just making a paycheck and sort of living life as comfortably as possible. It's, 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 it's to impact the kingdom, to make a difference for eternity, to take as many people to heaven as possible, to populate that place, to crowd heaven. And, and, and what I have learned throughout my life when it comes to being like, like a, a godly man, when it comes to being a godly husband and father, when it comes to like making right decisions, like when it comes to, to uh, embracing the kingdom, there's always been a boat ready to take me far away from where God wants me to be. Every single time, there's like a, there's like a, a way out. There's a way to go the opposite direction every time. I, like, I, 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 have, I have noticed like this, this spiritual battle in my life, a competition for my calling. The enemy of your soul is not just gonna stand by and be like, awesome, do what God wants you to do. Absolutely not. He's always gonna give you other options that look better. And so often we find ourselves willing to take him up on that offer. And so Jonah runs. Verse four says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. This is a really, really interesting part of the story. The Hebrew word here for when it says the Lord sent a great wind, it's the same word in the Old Testament for when King Saul threw a javelin at, at, uh, at David to try to pin him against the wall. So we get this picture of God like, like, like throwing a javelin, a storm at Jonah to try to pin him down, right? That, that, that's, that's the concept here. And what we find is that Jonah is asleep on the job. He's asleep on the job. He's on a boat headed in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go, and he's now asleep below deck. And because of his disobedience, the Lord has sent a massive storm to try to pin him down and everyone on the ship is afraid for their lives. The person who God has called to represent him is fast asleep. Now, I don't know if there could be a better metaphor for the church. The world is upside down right now. And it's often the case that the church has fallen fast asleep. And like Jonah, as, as the church, we have been called by God to be his representatives here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But like Jonah, we are often found sound asleep, just focused kind of on ourselves, not dialed into the things that God is doing, not aware of how the spirit is moving and what he wants to do in our day. I like this thought by Greg Laurie. If you're not familiar with him, uh, he, he's a, a pastor in California um, behind the movie, The Jesus, Jesus Revolution, and, and uh, he is um, 
the, uh, a young man in the, in the movie portrays uh, Greg Laurie's story as a young, up-and-coming uh, Jesus person uh, in, in the, um, uh, obviously, the Jesus Revolution era. He says this. He says, the church today is a sleeping giant. The devil has declared war on our country. He's declared war on our culture. He's declared war on our young people. He's declared war on the church. And it seems as though the church is collectively taking a nap. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And so the captain wakes Jonah up. And this captain on the ship is beside himself that Jonah could sleep at a time like this. Everyone has been calling out to their God to to save them, and the one person on the ship who is serving the only God who could save them is fast asleep. Jonah is a prophet of the one true God, and in this story, listen to this, the irony is interesting. He's a prophet of the one true God, and in this story, he's being rebuked by a pagan ship captain. This pagan Ship captain wakes him up and says, what are you doing? How, are you, how can you be sleeping right now? And he tells him to get up and to pray to his God. Incredible irony, right? Jonah was called to essentially rebuke the city of Nineveh, and here he is being rebuked by someone who doesn't even serve God. The story goes on in verse 7, and it says, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do again? Tell us what you do. Where do you come from? What is your country from? What people are you? They're very curious. Uh, who this guy really is. He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And in verse 10, it says, they, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Isn't that an interesting detail? Think about him like boarding the ship. What are you doing here, man? What do you, want? you wanna get to Tarshish? Why? I'm, I'm running from God. Oh, cool, man, come on. He already had told them. It says in verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you? (laughs) All right? What should we do to you? We're desperate here. What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? In verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come, that this great storm has come upon you. And here's what I noticed in this text. It's really powerful stuff here. What I notice in this text at first is, is, is what's not in the text. Because this is a bad moment, right? Everyone's about to die. Jonah is, is blatant disobedience, right? You would think this would be a moment where he would just get on his knees and call out to God for mercy. You would think this would be the wake-up call for him. You would think he would say, God, like, I, I am so sorry. you think he would begin to repent right there and ask God to show mercy and to calm the storm and to save him and these sailors, but that's not what he does. And what I notice in the text is this, and, and, and I, just, I just kind of pull it out 
is this idea that Jonah would rather die than do what God had called him to. He'd rather die. Isn't there another, it seems like there could be another option here than just throwing him over the, overboard. Like getting on your face before the God of the universe, repenting for disobedience, but no, Jonah would rather die than do what God has called him to do. Have, have you, ever, you ever been there in so many words? I'd rather die than forgive that person. I'd rather die than confess that sin. I'd rather die than do what God is asking me to do. Jonah says, throw me overboard anything but Nineveh. Anything but Nineveh. The pastor in Southern California, uh, or actually, uh, I'm sorry, he's in the Bay Area. Uh, his name is John Ortberg. And he wrote about the story of Jonah uh, to the cadence of Dr. Seuss, and I thought it was pretty, pretty good. Um, so you can look at this right here. Uh, so he starts with, uh, with the Lord speaking. Could you, would you go preach? Could you, would you go to reach the people of Assyria for you fit the criteria? Jonah, I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I will not go by land or sea. Stop this talk and let me be. Isn't that good? Pretty good. This is exactly what Jonah is doing. And he tells these sailors, like, in order for you to get out of this calamity that you are in, you got to throw me overboard. And the sailors think Jonah's crazy, and so they just start to row harder. They're like, yeah, we're not taking him up on that. Like, we're not going to be responsible for his death. And so they start to row harder to get back to land. And it says in verse 13, uh, this, this very thing, that instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. I love verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You notice how quickly these men became pretty religious? It didn't take long for them to begin praying to Jonah's God, asking God to forgive them what they're about, for what they're about to do even. The irony in the story is incredible because Jonah has done everything wrong up till now, and yet these people still come to faith in God. Is that not wild? He's done nothing right. And these people on this boat come to faith in God. Jonah's been sleeping. He's been quiet, trying to go unnoticed, sort of in the background or the shadows of the, of the ship. He's not preached a word to them. And yet by the end of the story, these pagan sailors have become followers of God. They've made vows to God. I think this is some pretty good news for us because how many times have I messed it all up? Man, how many times have I said the wrong thing? How many times have, have I just messed it up with my life and, and not been a very good witness to Jesus? And yet somehow God still works out good in spite of my failure, in spite of my weakness, and in spite of my struggles. I think what we want to recognize today is a few things here um, out of this story and that is this first thought that running from God's call is a universal struggle. 
Running from God's call is a universal struggle. The story of Jonah is, again, it's our own autobiography, right? Like, from time to time, we run from God. And I think that there are really two types of running that we see most often. We see uh, exterior running, and we see interior running. Exterior running is when, you know, it's just like blatant. It's obvious. It's like that person wants nothing to do with God. They want, you know, nothing that has any semblance of God. They're not hiding it. They're like, I'm doing my own thing. Like, like they're avoiding all their Christian friends. It's exterior running. It's noticeable, right? I'm running from God. But then there's interior running. And it's, it's, less, it's less easy to spot. It's, it's the people who look like they're fine and they're not. People who are geographically present in church, but spiritually they're distant from God. I think this is a word to all of us who come to church that we can be here physically and our hearts can still be far from God. We start coming out of routine. We start coming out of some sort of rote mechanical obligation. And our hearts just aren't soft before the Lord like they should be. Running is a struggle that we all have to deal with. And the question is, what are you running from? Most of the time when we run away, it's away from being the people of God. Most of the, most of the time when I run, like that's, that's, that's what it is. It's like, I just, I just don't want to be like that right now. God, like I, I don't want to have to live up to that expectation. I don't want to do that. I, wanna, I don't want to be viewed that way. I just, I just don't want to have to be weird. Like, I, God, come on. I don't want to do that. Why do I have to live by those kinds of like standards? And as a result, like Jonah, like what happens is we end up surrendering our calling in this earth. Sometimes like a javelin, God then sends a storm to pin us down, to keep us from continuing to surrender our calling. Think about the grace of God in this storm. A few things I know about myself, and then I'm gonna close, is that every time I've gotten on the wrong boat, there's three things I've noticed. One of three things. I've noticed at times that there has been a breakdown in my intimacy with God when I've, when I've gotten on the wrong boat. I, I can just tell you, like, honestly, like, when I am, when I am doing well with God, when, when I am connected to him, when I am feeding my soul, my spirit, when I'm in the word, when I'm in prayer, when I have connection with God, uh, it, it's, it's, it's next to impossible that I'm gonna get on the wrong boat. But every time there's been a breakdown, Every time I've been in kind of a spiritually dry season, every time I've been kind of just, just going through the motions, just kind of, kind of I don't know, um, resting, kind of sitting back, not being very active in my faith, just sort of, I don't know, um, allowing kind of negative thinking and mindsets to overtake me. Like I, I find myself much more likely to get on the wrong boat. Is there anybody here that can relate to this? The other thing I've noticed about myself, every time I've gotten on the wrong boat, number two is I've noticed that there's, there's usually been a breakdown in applying truth from Scripture to my life. Applying it. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to apply it. Like, and this has been true of me at different times throughout my life. Like, like That's why, why James talks to us about um, not just being hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, right? So, I have seen this so many times where like I, I hear the word taught or I read scripture or I have specific doctrine that I know and, and I believe it and, 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 I, and I agree with it. But there's a difference between you coming to church and hearing a message that you agree with 
and believe to be true and then going out of here and applying it to your life is a huge difference. It's a huge difference. Oftentimes, like, like what can happen is we can come to church and we can sit here and we can listen to a message that stirs us even emotionally. And because something has happened emotionally to us, we actually feel it hit us. It, it can trick us. It can deceive us into thinking we've actually done something and we haven't. Because, because we felt something on such an emotional level. Like, wow, that was good. Like, wow. Like, thank you, God. And we get up here and like, no, we get out of here and nothing changes. We haven't applied the truth of God's word to our life. And I find that every time I've gotten on the wrong boat, I've been in a season or a time of just sort of taking God's truth for granted, just, just like, like almost being a little too arrogant or cocky in knowing truth, that I just find myself getting on the wrong boat. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I want to do that right now. And then number three, every time I've gotten on the wrong boat, um, it seems like there's been a breakdown in who I surround myself with. Like every time. Usually been one of these three things. Sometimes all three of them together. That's the full meal deal. Oftentimes there's been a breakdown in who I surround myself with. You ever notice this to be true in your own life? Look at where Jonah's at. Who's he surrounded himself with? A bunch of pagan sailors. Oh, you're, you're running from God? Cool, come on, come on board. Who we surround ourselves with is key to like living out the destiny that God has for our life, the call that God has for our life. You gotta have people who are willing to champion and encourage and support and push you towards the things that God has for you. And when we surround ourselves constantly with people who have no interest in that, have no interest really in the things of God, or who are just kind of like going through the motions, they're not like red hot for God, what makes you think you'll ever be red hot for God if you're not surrounding yourself with people who are? It just won't happen. It's a lot easier for someone to pull you down than for you to pull them up. And this is the truth that I've seen in my life. And so, as I close today, um, stick with me for a second. I think the story of Jonah is this, it's that God works for good despite my failures. That's what we see here in this first 17 verses. God still works for good despite my failures. It's good news, it's really good news. In this story, God allows pagan sailors the opportunity to repent, though an unrepentant prophet has uh, not done what he was supposed to do. The irony is incredible. I love that God works for good despite our failures. That's part of the character of God. That's who he is. Every single week, every single week, I'm, I'm failing left and I'm failing right every single week, and yet somehow God is still working for good despite those failures in me. He works for good despite our failures. That's really good news because it's really not about us as much as we think it is. It's about him. 17th verse of this chapter is where I wanna end today talk about this scripture just for a couple seconds here, but it says in verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Not necessarily a whale, by the way. Provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. I think it was like a Loch Ness. Uh, something like that. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. See, Jonah is a type of, of Christ. 
He's in the belly of the fish for three days. Jesus is buried in the tomb for three days. Eventually, Jonah brings salvation to a wicked people who are willing to repent. Jesus obviously brings salvation through his blood, to humanity. There's some similarities. So I wanna talk to you for a minute about Jonah and Jesus and just kind of give you some of the similarities and then one really important difference between the two. When we look at Jonah, not only do we see ourselves and our own autobiography, but we also see Jesus. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is on a boat as well. Um, Three places in the Gospels. I think that when the Gospel writers wrote this story of Jesus on this boat, they must have had the ancient story of Jonah in mind. There's a lot of similarity here. I wanna show them to you. I wanna show you one significant difference as well. But like Jonah, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and a storm comes. And I wanna show you kind of the, 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 the similarities and the differences between these two stories. In the story of Jonah, uh, Jonah sleeps. In the story of Jesus, Jesus sleeps. Pretty similar, right? Captain wakes up Jonah, the disciples wake up Jesus. The sailors ask Jonah questions, like, right? Who are you, where are you from? What did you do? The disciples ask Jesus some questions. Do you even care if we live? Like, remember that one? The sea was rough, the sea was rough in both stories. The sailors row hard, the disciples row hard. And here's the difference, here's the key difference right here. Jonah is thrown off and the wind is calmed. Jesus stands up and calms the wind. Is that not great? And then we see here uh, another similarity is that the the sailors are in awe at the end of the story. And uh, in, in the story of Jesus, the disciples are in awe. Who is this man, they said, right, at the end? Who is this man? In many ways, Jonah and Jesus are similar, but in in many ways, Jesus is really the anti-Jonah, or maybe maybe it's, uh, maybe we should say he's he's the better Jonah. Look at how uh, it happens. Jonah runs away from the will of God, seeking to just preserve himself. He's got nobody else in mind but himself, right? I'm gonna save myself. But Jesus runs into the will of God sacrificing his life for us. See the difference? And the ultimate question we have to ask when we read the story of Jonah and when we meditate on the person of Jesus is this right here, if you're taking notes. Am I going to live according to my will or God's will? It's the ultimate question. You see, the story of the runaway prophet and our story as the runaway people is very simple to summarize Is it my will or is it God's will? Is it my will or is it God's will? With my finances, is it my will or is it God's will? With my time, is it my will or is it God's will? With my relationships, is it my will or is it God's will? Negotiating conflict and differences and things, is it my will or is it God's will? Speaking up for justice and things of that nature, is it my will or is it God's will? And if you want to summarize the story of Jonah, if you want to summarize the story of my life and the story of your life, it's this right here. Is it my will or is it God's will? And thank God for Jesus, who famously in the Garden of Gethsemane says, 
not my will, but your will be done. And through this decision that Jesus makes on that powerful night that he would be betrayed, implications spread all throughout the world. That one decision that Jesus makes to submit to the will of the Father over his own will is why we are here today. It's why we are worshiping and praying in the name of Jesus today. All because on that night, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. When it comes to my life and when it comes to yours, what's it gonna be? Is it my will? Is it your will? Or is it God's will? Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Bow your heads just for a moment. I want to close in prayer. We're going to sing just for a minute or two before we leave. If you're here today and um, you would just say, hey, Pastor Jordan, um, I, I've got such a propensity to run from the things of God. You know that there are some things in your life right now that God has asked you to do that you're not doing. And it's time to turn back to the Lord in these areas and to walk in obedience. Can I just, every head's bowed in here. Can I just see your hand? Just sign, let's get obedient before the Lord. Let's just get rid of the stuff that shouldn't be there. Let's just become obedient before God. See your hands, several hands. You're in good company. Right now, God, I pray in Jesus' name that all fear would go and be gone. God, we repent of going our own way. We repent in this place of just trying to do things on our own and sustain ourselves in our own strength. And all the times, God, where we have, we have uh, rejected your plan and your purpose and your call on our life, where we've said, this is enough, this is as far as I'm willing to go, God, would you, just, would you just forgive us as we repent of that here today? We wanna be people who jump feet first with all of who we are into the things of God, holding nothing back, reserving nothing from you, God. And as you search our hearts this morning, God, bring everything to the surface that needs to come to the surface. Everything we've been hiding, everything that just we've been trying to kind of stuff down to avoid and not think about because we really don't wanna do that thing. We don't want to forgive that person. We don't want to let anybody know about that, that thing in our life. We, we just we want to kind of keep it to ourselves. Lord, I pray healing and wholeness and forgiveness in this place right now. Freedom in Jesus' name. And God, for the person in this room that's just worn out from running, think about the prodigal son. I think about when he was still a long way off, the father sees him in the distance and begins to run towards him. I thank you for your faithfulness as a good father to run in our direction. And Lord, I pray that every person who's worn out from running and doing things in their own strength, who's tired today, Father, that in your goodness and in your grace and in your loving kindness, you would start to sprint in their direction right now. 
And if that's you today, may you begin to feel the radical love of God in a way maybe you haven't yet. Thank you, Jesus, for being the better Jonah. Thank you, Jesus, for being surrendered to the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for saying all those years ago, not my will, but your will be done. Amen. Thank you.